1: Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host. Our goal and mission at Parent Footprint, which is why we do this podcast, is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to strive for the same in our own lives, happiness, health, engagement, and of course, awareness. We firmly believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting, and with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called Parenting Through Puberty, Mood Swings, Acne, and Growing Pains. Our guest, Dr. Sue Koval Connolly, who is a practicing pediatrician with more than 30 years' experience. And now serves as a director of pediatric clinical quality for the Long Island Federally Qualified Health Centers in Nassau County. She also works as the district physician in many of her local school districts and performs as a New York State trainer for child abuse and neglect. Finally, Dr. Suan is a sports enthusiast and an avid triathlete. There are many different aspects and interests in her life which have been instrumental in shaping the way that she envisions and delivers health care to families. And finally, she's a contributor to HealthyChildren.org, the American Academy of Pedi- Pediatric website for parents, and is the ultra-proud mother of three grown sons, perhaps her greatest accomplishment. Suanne, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Dan. It is so nice to be here with you.
1: So I have three uh, adolescents, um, growing adolescents, and... You are on the other side of this whole thing <laughs> as a parent. <laughs> you, you, you've seen, you've yes. seen it, you've seen it all, and I'm so excited to talk to you about uh, not only your personal parenting experience, but of course your uh, clinical and practicing experience, which led to this collaboration with uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics to produce this such important volume about puberty. How did this come to be?
0: Well, I would. I would tell you that it really started a long time ago. Um, When my first boy, I have three and I have a stepdaughter as well, but when my first son was little and we made our first uh, visits to the park, I found that while sitting there, often I would be uh, by myself with him, or maybe we would just join in with a bunch of strangers that you know, we were meeting for the first time, but the conversations in the park were basically a hundred percent of the time the moms would be talking about one upmanship. And they would invariably each one talk about whatever we were discussing that their child was the best at that, even if it was the being the best at doing something that you wouldn't necessarily want to brag about. Like my child is the best at hating green vegetables. and (laughs) um, (laughs) But that was how it always went. It was just always about, you know, my child's better than your child kind of thing. And what was really telling for me is that when I would go into my office and put on my pediatrician hat, and we would get into the exam room and close the door, the conversation always turned to not what my child is best at, but what am I most worried about? And what do I think my child might need help with? And is my child okay at whatever it was? So I was profoundly influenced and taken by the fact that You know, we put on our happy face out in public. But the truth is that behind closed doors, all parents worry incessantly about their kids, Mm -hmm. um, myself included. And what we really want is someone who we can trust, someone that we know we can confide in that will give us expertise in telling us, are we doing a good job? Is this okay? Is my child okay? Is everything okay? Okay. And that stayed with me forever. That just stayed with me through all the years of taking care of kids. And I started in private practice when my baby, my first first son was six weeks old. So from the very beginning, this is where I started. And by the time I got to this point and the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, asked me if I was interested in writing a book, I, I was, and they gave me um, several areas where they felt the literature was lacking, and this was one of them. And I said to myself, you know, this would be great because not only do I really feel bad for for adolescents; they get such a bad rap, and it's almost like they're the forgotten developmental stage.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: there's a million books on babies and raising babies and being successful at raising babies, but. There really isn't a lot about puberty and a lot about adolescence, and I thought, you know this is an area that just like all the other areas, parents worry so much, and I felt I really could you know add to that. I felt like that's sort of my you know that I've got that angle on things that i'm I'm always thinking about what parents are worried about and trying to help them and trying to soothe them and trying to give them advice on how they can be less worried and 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 be more confident and Really, see each period of childhood as as really the magical periods they are, including this one.
1: Mm-hmm. This one that uh, a lot of the the myth or the lore is that we have to brace for it, right? And it's just gonna um, storms looming ahead. And uh, you know, is that a myth? Is there is there some fact to that?
0: I I, I think there is. I I mean, I I found myself at times, you know, saying, you know, basically, you know. Buckle your seatbelt and, uh, and just get ready for the ride. But the truth is that even though I think we do have to be prepared that way and we do know it's going to be tumultuous, I think the truth is that, <laughs> you know, roller coaster rides are lots of fun. I mean, yeah, you're <laughs> scared to death, but you're having a great time. So <laughs> maybe if we could think of it more like that, um, because it really is a beautiful, beautiful period in a child's life. And I think, and I, and I say this truly in hindsight because I was just as nervous and just as affected when my own boys went through adolescence. I, I definitely worried terribly. And people had given me lots of advice too. And it's hard to see the forest for the trees. But looking back, I think giving parents um, that guidance of, look, you know, it's not going to be easy every day. It's not always going to be lots of fun. But if you keep your wits about you, and if you think about it the right way, if you have the tools to understand the period better, I think that you can really enjoy it so much more and you can get so much more out of it.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think about normalizing. So just what you're talking about here is the highs and lows, the roller coasters. I mean, it's it's part of it's part of the journey, and I think often, just as you also said, most parents, we think, you know, everything's going on great in that family's home, and we're the only ones that have these challenges. So that's not true for everyone listening. That is not true, and it's also not true that everything is always supposed to be peaceful and calm and smooth waters with our kids when they're developing.
0: That That's, you know, that's very, very well said. My example of the park is a perfect example for a perfect example for parents about how don't believe what you see out in public. Because I can tell you that the truth is that behind those closed doors, everybody's worried. So that's number one. Um, I wouldn't be swayed by thinking that everybody else has it easy and you don't. Everybody else is worrying just as much as you are, if not more. And, you know, it's, it's life. We know life is not Beautiful at every moment. But if we can stop and find the beauty in the things that are happening, because it usually does exist somewhere. There's usually, I'm a rather optimistic person. So I, I tend to find for myself, I look for what, what's good about this situation? What, what happened in this situation that was a good thing? And, Mm -hmm. and usually you can find it, you know, it's, 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 it's there.
1: So your book is um, packed with information. So I'm uh, in my mind, I was thinking about some these larger realms of development. We have brain development, we have emotional development, and of course, we have physical development. And so if we start with brain development, what are some of these really important um, developmental changes that we parents need to understand?
0: Well, I, I think... One of the important things that parents need to understand is that the brain of the adolescent is still making remarkable, remarkable changes. And we didn't always know that. We understand that much more now. And the changes that it's making are creating situations that are responsible for some of the things that parents may feel are are going you know, awry. Mm-hmm. So the adolescent brain is going through, for instance, we used to think that the adolescent brain was completely finished, that there are no more, there's no more growth to, uh, to the brain. And that in many ways is, is true. Um, it's limited, but we have a phenomenal amount of redevelopment. So the adolescent brain, although it may not be growing It is evolving. It is changing. We call it actually synaptic pruning. So the adolescent brain is actually rewiring itself. And this is quite fascinating. And it's also, you know, very, very important to understand because what children do in this period, the way they behave, whether or not they uh, stay healthy and do healthy things, can have a tremendous impact or at least has the potential to have a tremendous impact on how the brain ultimately develops and finishes growing. So that's one one piece. Uh, another piece about uh, brain growth is that there are phases to how a, a child is going to feel emotionally through the process of, of brain development. So I talk to uh, parents, about the early, the middle and the late periods of, of adolescence. And during these different periods, children are acting different ways because the process of the brain and ultimately the behavior becoming adult-like is just that it's, it's a process. And if a parent understands what they can anticipate and how that's going to go, it can go a long way for feeling more secure with yourself. In other words, it's not about me. You know, what's happening with my child, it's not about me. It's about their journey. It's about their process, about their development and the way in which they're going to go from childhood to adulthood. There's a process to that. So I talk a lot about, about that so parents can understand that piece of it. And there are differences in some interesting things like neurotransmitters. We understand now that neurotransmitters, for those who may not realize what they are, so there are chemicals in our in our brains that are in many ways responsible for the way we act and the way we feel. And those transmitters like dopamine are very uh, important for feeling pleasure. Serotonin is very important for mood and and so on. So we know that dopamine is more active in the adolescent brain than in uh, the adult brain. And that we understand now we're beginning to see so much more about why adolescents act the way they do. So they have a higher pleasure response than an adult. And so some of the decisions that they make and the things that they do and their pleasure seeking behavior is mitigated by this. Understanding that, you know, allows us to have a little more forgiveness for some of the things that they may do. Also, different parts of the brain, like the amygdala, which is very responsible for our, again, pleasure, emotions, feelings like this. It develops faster than the prefrontal cortex, where we have all of our executive functioning. And so you've got a person who has their pleasure centers firing on all cylinders but their prefrontal cortex needs to catch up
1: right and so when we parents when we parents say what were you thinking or were thinking what were you thinking you just answered it um a exactly uh, pleasure (laughs) and b i wasn't even Mm -hmm. thinking at all (laughs) i was just reacting
0: exactly i was feeling i was feeling Feeling. was feeling Feeling, really good
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah, and it's, and, and, but still we're shocked by it. We're shocked by the behavior, and maybe we shouldn't be.
0: Exactly. We shouldn't be. And if we understand more about this, then maybe we take a step back and we realize that every child, every person, including us, went through this process. And so some of the behaviors are completely predictable. It's so clear that they're going to act and behave in certain ways. And in the book, I talk, I talk, you know, more about it. I give examples of different ways that, you know, maybe a teenager might um, address a certain situation versus an adult and why it would go one way versus the other in these different age groups because of not, because a teenager is just, it's not that they're just self-absorbed. They really have, a difference in the way their brain is programmed at this point and the way and where it's starting and where it's going to end up so again i i feel knowledge is always empowering i think the more you can right the more you know for sure the more it helps you understand
1: yeah this is normal and regular and difficult but normal and regular
0: Right. And I, I, I guess the, the most important thing about the brain development and the emotional phases that go on in puberty is that, I mean, if I were to capsulize it for people, it's that the goal of, of puberty or the goal of adolescent this period is to go from having one foot, or we actually have two feet in, in childhood, And you're standing and knocking on the gates of adulthood, and you're trying to get through that gate. And while you're trying to get through, you still have your one foot on one side, and you're basically moving towards the next side. And in order to do that effectively, in order for a child to get to that place, to adulthood, it requires that they become independent. And that means kind of letting you go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean they don't love and adore you, but it does mean finding their own way, getting to their own answers.
1: Mm -hmm. And that seems, if I can speak for, uh, I'm speaking for us parents, uh, is seemingly, it just seems a lot harder these days for parents to do that uh, because uh, of involvement and connection, um, and caring, and love, and all of that makes it so hard to kind of walk away and let your child figure things out for themselves.
0: Oh, it's, I, uh, you know, if there's, an, I don't know that there's anything harder, because as a parent, you started out as their sole support. And as you go through your journey of raising your children, you're so totally used to making sure the world is right for your child. You protect them and you're you're guiding them and you are making the reality for them. And now you have to let go. And in order for them to become their own person, you have to be confident that you've done your job and done it well, and that you can let them make some independent decisions. Because if they can't, If you won't let go, and if you won't trust them, and you won't show confidence in them, how are they going to feel that themselves? They can't. In order for them, right, to have these attributes of confidence, self-esteem being strong, knowing that they're responsible, knowing that they can make decisions and it can work out okay. Mm -hmm. You have to be, you Because you are so important, you have to show that you believe in them. And that means stepping back. (laughs) I mean, listen, I was there too. I was there too. You don't want your children to fail.
1: No, no. And you you just said the the buzzword, self-esteem. So we know that adolescence, puberty is a time of lots of insecurity about how we look, about how we feel. And we parents are often talking about, like, how do we increase our child's self-esteem? And you just hit on a key, key, key point that I don't think a lot of parents think about is one way to increase your child's self-esteem is actually to trust them and show them that you believe in their competence to be in the world without micromanaging them and and showing them that we don't think they could handle it.
0: Right. Because sometimes our actions speak louder than words. I trust you. I believe in you, but you can't do this, (laughs) but I have to do it with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a mixed message. When you really say to your child, all right, I, I do trust you. I am worried about the, your friends. I don't know if I can trust your friends, but I do trust you. And I'm going to let you do this event. And I'm going to trust that you will call me if something goes wrong, that you will have me come and get you because I will, whenever it is, whatever time, you know, you just have to reach out to me, text me, call me, whatever you need to do, and I'll be there, but I'm going to let you do this. And if it goes well, that's great because I trust that you can do it. And if it, if it doesn't, then then we're going to have to start over. And I may not trust you again for, mm-hmm. for a long time, but I'm going to, I'm going to going to give you your wings you go ahead you go ahead and have a good time and let's see how that goes
1: so i'm thinking of two tough issues that i hear about daily and live in my house with well is as well which is um sleep and technology and um Mm. sometimes those challenges are both related other times not but here we are trying to our kids are getting older And we're trying to give them more control over their lives and not say, lights out now or you're grounded, you know, or give me your phone right now, put it on the kitchen. I mean, of course, these things are needed in certain situations. But aren't you finding that there's complexity with trusting kids to self-regulate when we have these issues of technology and a lot of sleeplessness, it seems, in the teen population these days?
0: Oh gosh, um yes, and you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics has a very nice uh piece in healthy children called a uh, Family Media Plan and they give some very good advice about how parents can regulate media uh with their kids uh, at all ages including adolescents and you know, a, a lot of the advice surrounding this you know comes down to uh setting ground rules. You know, the problem also is that it's a whole new world for all of us. We've we're really all just learning. We're mm-hmm. in generations to come, they'll have already you know, hindsight is t- very 2020. So they'll have already figured a lot of this out, but we're struggling through it in real time. So we don't have generations to look back at and say, "Oh, look how that you know, that didn't work out. Let's let's figure that out, you know, better." But um, like most things setting ground rules, having expectations, making it clear. And I stress this, modeling the behavior yourself.
1: I'm going to repeat is that. Really key. <laughs> modeling the behavior yourself. That's for all yes. of us. Yes.
0: That's right. Uh, myself included again. And I, you know, uh, I I always marvel at the fact that there's still lots to learn and there's still plenty that I can do too to, to, to get better at everything. Um, this is tough, but you know, we have to model the behavior that we want our children to, Mm -hmm. to, to do themselves. And if we can't put down our devices, if we can't disengage, if we can't turn out the lights and go to bed, um, you know, why in the world should we expect that they can do it?
1: Right. They have to
0: see, right. They have to see that we live our lives in the same responsible way. So that's so how many hours of sleep? Important.
1: How many hours of sleep? What's the range?
0: Between 8 8 and 10. 8 you know, and 10 hours. Of, yeah. That's right. A lot of adults think they need less, they need more. They need the same or more. They need so much sleep and they also um you know what we understand about sleep is that adolescents have a shift in their uh in their sleep phase. So they actually stop getting the urge to go to sleep at that earlier bedtime as they mm. enter the adolescent period. And so it is no longer possible for them to go to bed at, at nine o'clock. Their internal clock resets and they don't get tired. I, I, this is also very new. You know, we didn't know this years ago and it's critical to understanding this because we can't we really can't force them they, they really can't get to bed they're really not tired so what do we do well one of the it's a little bit of a dilemma i have to say one of the things that is being pushed is across the country we are trying the american academy of pediatrics is trying to get schools to change their start time
1: oh, to not start
0: school before right before eight thirty, and it's it's just you know it's riddled with all kinds of reasons why we can't make it happen, but I suspect that, you know, 20 years from now, if you interview me again, Mm -hmm. we'll be talking about, if I'm still, please let me be here. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, we'll find that, that we've, we've mastered this and that we actually have uh, taken that into account. We've, we have changed start times for kids. Cause I think it's the evidence is so clear that they need that. What can we do? We can we can push to uh, make our bodies do something maybe it's not really looking to do. In other words, we can help kids to do everything possible to relax and try to get to sleep earlier than maybe their body would normally like to get to sleep at and have a regular bedtime, regular habits, m- much the same way we did when our children were little, have have, uh, you know, a schedule that you try to keep to and you try to keep to that schedule all the time. You know, kids, they will stay up late to to study or to do homework. And then on the weekend, they try to catch up with sleep. And that doesn't work out very well because it's our no. bodies. Yeah. Uh, not only does it not feel good, it's it's kind of like jet lag. So we never really Catch up, and the body really doesn't like that. It likes to stay stay regular. So, we tr- you can try to get your kids to understand that. I, I again, knowledge is power. I mm-hmm. I encourage kids to pick up the book and read it themselves, and read about sleep and and why they feel the way they do, and how they can feel better, and how they can feel more healthy. I have parents come in and and, and talk about this with me, and the kids are sitting there, and I turn around, and I start talking to them about it, and they're fascinated. I mean, they're interested in their health. They
1: are. They are. We. Uh, they are. We had uh, with one of our uh, teens uh, had talked over and over about having the phone away from the bed and away from the head with all of the infra Blu-ray, all the stuff, and exactly, you know, to no avail. Right. And then uh, this person goes into their uh, doctor, and the doctor says the same thing, and lo and behold, right. it was amazing. It like. That that the phone was not by the bed anymore because of that valuable information that was given to this person by someone else. So, uh, right. we, our kids do need to be educated and empowered.
0: Well, okay, I have to ask you really... the question.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry,
0: sorry. No, I was just going to say that um, that point that you just made that, that that happens a lot. You know, parents feel very badly that they've told their kids a thousand times to do something and they never listen, and then I tell them, and then all of a sudden they are doing it. And that's no reflection on being a poor parent or not being respected by your child. It's, 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 again, it's just, it's that, you know, sometimes you need to hear the information in a way that you can feel independent about accepting it. So kids, again, they need to feel like I, I embrace the information. It's not you feeding it to me. Right. Right. So just, (laughs) you just, uh. Click that That's switch important. for me. So. It's important. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Dr. Suan, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. <laughs> Tell us of a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or parent and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child.
0: So, you know, actually thinking about this almost brings tears to my eyes, but um, not all that long ago, my first boy, my oldest boy, we were talking about a time in the past when we first moved into our house where we live now, and he was maybe about eleven years old, and I had actually was a melding of families, so we we had a, a blending of my family, my my husband's, you know, daughter, and we're starting out here and new beginnings, beautiful things. And, um, my son's bedroom, I wanted him to take the furniture that my husband had had in his old apartment and use that for his furniture. And it was grown up furniture. It was a beautiful (laughs) bedroom set and we were going to, my husband and I get new furniture. And I basically forced it down my son's throat that he had to have this (laughs) furniture (laughs) Also, because I was very, my husband had made me feel very badly that his mother who had bought him the furniture would be so insulted if we got rid of the furniture, we have to do something <laughs> with it. So it's like, I know, let's give it to Daniel, my Daniel.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: and Daniel was telling me not even, I don't know, three months ago that that event and making him keep that furniture was just so horrible. <laughs> I mean, he felt he just, he wanted to make his own space and he wanted it to have his own footprint on it. Mm-hmm. And I rammed down his throat this <laughs> furniture. And although it was my idea of the most beautiful, great grown up bedroom in the world, it wasn't his. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard for him. And we, we really got into some bad stuff. Um, back then, with this furniture, and it, it wasn't like laughing and funny like I'm telling to you now. I, I mean, we really it was it was hard. It, he was an angry, you know, adolescent and and I didn't get it, and it was bad. And when he told me now, as a grown up, I mean, he's 32, and he was telling me how you know, how hard it was for him. And he was trying to be understanding with me, but he was really kind of more concerned about himself and, mm-hmm. and he knew he acted terrible, but he was really angry at me. I, I, I did. I had that aha moment like, Oh gosh, I, I, I wish I had, I wish I had understood. I wish I had seen him the way I should have seen him. I wish I had been more attuned with what he needed and not what I needed or my, my new mm. husband needed or any of those things. So I would say that's it.
1: That's an important story. And I also thank you for sharing it because it, um, here you are as a pediatrician who knows all of this about development of, uh, emotional, you know, intellectual, physical and, <laughs> right. and we still, we still I don't still always do wrong. things, right? Yeah. We still <laughs> make mistakes and, uh, right. it's just the courage, right. To process it and to, uh, to, 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 own it uh, with our kids, no matter how old uh, they are, that it's a real healing moment for them, right? I'm sure Daniel really appreciated you hearing it and reflecting that back to him.
0: Yeah, and telling him how sorry I was. Yeah. And I wish if I could do it again, I would do it differently. You know, he could buy all the furniture he wants. We'd we'd figure out how to make firewood out of husband's (laughs) old furniture.
1: (laughs) So I have. it brings me back to one of the quotes that you said in the show, it's not about me the parent it's about them and their development and you know it's really important when especially in adolescence for us to be realizing that they're in their own world for the first time trying to make sense of everything they're feeling and seeing and it isn't always personal even though it feels very personal at times. And this other quote I want to leave everyone with, um, this is from doctor Suan's book. Puberty is a time when one foot is positioned for adulthood and the other is still stuck in childhood. Parents cannot expect their teens to figure out how to keep themselves healthy and well on their own. They need you, their parents, to help them. Very wise. And of course, as our Adolescents get older, we need to be very mindful and thoughtful about how we help them. So we give them that um, confidence that we have in them so they can have it in themselves. Dr. Suan tell everyone where they can uh, find your stuff, track you.
0: Yes. Well, please do join me on Twitter at Dr. Suann, at either Suan Koval. I also have another site, uh, health. PBY, which stands for Health Powered by You, which is my website. Uh, You can join me on my website, Health Powered by You. I have my blog there and put lots of information. I'm doing video blogs now on the book. So I uh, welcome you there. Also, uh, Facebook, uh, Dr. Sue posts lots of things about this uh, subject and, of course, lots of other subjects in pediatrics and welcome you to... uh, join in on my webpage. I have a contact sheet. I welcome your, your audience to engage with me. I'd love to have a conversation. Thank you.
1: I hear that, everyone. It doesn't have to end with this show. You can still see Dr. <laughs> Sue Ann and her stuff and ask her questions. So please reach out. Uh, Dr. Sue Ann, thanks so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate your knowledge and wisdom.
0: And I thank you so much, Dr. Dan.
1: That's a wrap, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. You may find our Parent Footprint Awareness Training designed to help you parent in the way you want to get the results you want for successful, engaged, happy, and aware children. Think about being the person you want your child to become. And as always, ask yourself the same guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave?